November 21st, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 6, and uh, we're going to go ch through chapter 3, verse 4. This is probably going to be a, a two-parter um, because it's quite a lengthy passage. And uh, the title of today's message or lesson is called Don't Be a Baby. And so that's not calling anyone a baby, uh, but you'll see next week when we get into it how Paul describes people who are immature uh, in their walk with the Lord, um, and he calls them infants being still on the milk uh, of the Word and not maturing to the meat of the Word as well. So this is where we're going to start this morning. Um, we'll go ahead and open up in prayer. Lord, I thank you for today. Um, Lord, I thank you again for your blessings, and I thank you for the message of the cross. Uh, Father, I thank you for the way that you came uh, in humility, and you demonstrated love in a way that is difficult for us to understand. Um, Lord, and I just praise you for that, and I thank you that, that you have called each one of us, and I thank you that the, the gospel message goes out to every individual, and Lord, you're patient with us. And so, Father, I pray that today... Um, you help us to understand, um, help us to learn, and help us to change through this week, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's, let's go ahead and read this entire passage, and then we'll get into it, okay? 1 Corinthians 2, and we're going to start with verse 6, and uh, read through chapter 3, verse 4. He says, we do... However, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Nor, no, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard, excuse me, and what no, no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with the Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. <clears throat> you are still worldly. 
For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So when we start in verses 6 through 8, um, Paul's not saying that he rejects a person who has wisdom. He's not saying that he um, looks differently upon a person who has high intellect or a person who is, you know, what, what you might consider today blue collar or uh, someone who is not educated uh, as far as, as, far as uh, academics and that kind of thing. He's, he's not referring to those types of things. And, and um, he's not putting any emphasis on being ignorant to the world either. And so, but he wants to make sure that all people grasp that there's a wisdom that's taught only by the Spirit of God. And that is what he's, his emphasis is on. He calls all those who are pursuing that type of wisdom, he calls them mature. And so the description here, if we remember, there's a, there's a mixed demographic of, of Jews and of Greeks in Corinth um, because the Jews were kicked out of Rome. And so we're, as we're into this, you know, there's, there's a number of different things that different people will call wisdom. So, you know, just in this past week or in these past few weeks, you, there's been a lot of things in the news uh, pertaining to what wisdom is. And you've probably heard many, many different opinions about um, things, for instance, Aaron Rodgers or uh, 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 the, the guy in uh, Ash Kenosha, excuse me, the young man in Kenosha that, you know, was acquitted or was, um, excuse me, Rittenhouse, yes, thank you. You know, they, they found him not guilty. And so you hear these kinds of things and everybody's got an opinion about that. And so what Paul is emphasizing is it doesn't matter what your knowledge is of the situation, that if we don't look to the wisdom of Jesus Christ and the wisdom that the Spirit gives, then all of this stuff, he's, he's saying that all of these people are going to account for nothing, um, and they're destined for nothing um, if we don't follow the Spirit, regardless of what our opinions are. And so there's a retraining of the mind that's taking place in these people. And it's sometimes this, this kind of stuff is difficult to understand because our culture has trained us to, to, to live and act and to think a certain way. And so Paul is emphasizing that they've already been taught this and they are continuing to being, to being taught this. But if we go back to chapter 1, he says that some members of Chloe's household are saying that there's a lot of arguing and stuff going on and bickering back and forth about wisdom that's not spiritual wisdom, that's not godly wisdom. And so there's a disunity when we bring our opinions in without the scriptures to support um, and direct us in how to teach our minds to think. And so Ephesians chapter 4, if we look at there real quick, verses 11 through 16, Jesus tells Paul to write this. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, he says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So love in this context cannot exist outside of the truth of the gospel. Um, And so the truth of the gospel has to go forward. And when that happens, the quarreling stops because there's unity. That doesn't mean that everybody all the time agrees on every situation. But it means that when Justine comes to me and says, I don't think you're, you're, you're giving this teaching right. We can sit down and we can have a conversation about it without going, well, I know you follow your dad, but I follow him too, and I heard him say this. <laughs> you know, or, and we can, we can have a debate about it, or we can sit down and go, you know what? Let, let's reexamine that together and, and find out what the truth is. And so... I have the utmost respect for her opinion and for her thought and for her study of the word, and she has the same for me as, you know, we look into that and, and, and dive into it and find out what it is that God wants. And when she realizes that I'm wrong or I realize that I'm wrong, I can look at her and go, wow, thank you for bringing that, you know, thank you for challenging me on that and causing me to, to dig in. Now, we know that doesn't happen, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the man's always right, so, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, but the picture, the picture of the church, I think, has been skewed by, by our feelings getting hurt because somebody challenges, challenges our opinion or our thoughts about something, uh, and, and even challenges the word, and, and we were le- learning in men's Bible study this week, you know, that how the Bereans went to Paul, or they listened to Paul teach, and then they went home and they opened up the scripture and they went, okay, is what he's teaching right? And Paul was encouraged by that. He was, man, you guys are the most noble people that I've ever met because you want to know and you want to make sure that what you're listening to is correct. And so they go home and, and even if they didn't fully understand it, they go, well, yeah, this is exactly what he said. And I can see how that uh, comes together. And, th- and they challenged him. They questioned him. And they, they made sure that what he was teaching was the right thing. And so that's important to know. And that's important to understand. So back in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, um, keeping in mind what we just read in Ephesians, the people in Corinth had, they had apostles. They had teachers. They had evangelists. Who do we know were, uh, were in Corinth leading up to this time when Paul wrote this letter? Do you remember? First of all, in chapter 1, he says, Member of Chloe's household have come and give this message. So we know that, that Chloe and people in her home church, her house church, were involved. But according to Acts, I think it was Acts 17 or 18, when Paul talks about being in Corinth, when Paul got there, who came along behind him? with to join him. Do you remember? Who, he was, who was he traveling with? 
Timothy and who else? And we're close. Barnabas, one of Barnabas' friends, Silas. Okay, so Timothy and Silas were traveling with Paul, and they joined Paul. And then when Paul leaves to go on to Ephesus, Timothy and Silas and some of the other brothers stay there. Okay, and so we also know who else was there. Who did he meet while he was in Corinth? Yeah. Luke is there too because Luke is writing Acts as it happens. So um, Priscilla and Aquila, Paul meets while he's there. And of course, they, they teach and they move on. And so we know also because he addresses Apollos in this particular text, we know that at some point or another, Apollos was there too. So there were many teachers along with other brothers and sisters that were there, that were teaching, they were evangelizing, they were bringing the message of the gospel to the people in Corinth, and yet there was still a struggle to the point where Chloe has to send somebody to Paul and say, what do we do about this? And so Paul is, is taking them back to um, what appears to be the foolishness of the cross. And, and we're going to look at how that kind of works into the mix of the dough here in a few minutes, but could be <laughs> it could be chocolate chip i don't know so i made chocolate chip cookies this week so that's what i'm thinking well actually tracy made them and i just put them in the oven so she <laughs> uh, yeah i just i just baked and cleaned up after but she made this stuff to to do it with so anyway um the struggle that was still a part of their nature was still uh was still surviving and striving for a knowledge that would get them noticed uh, many still wanted acknowledgement and respect among the city's leaders. And Jesus doesn't penalize a person for being brilliant. Uh, but if there is any emphasis that's put on our accomplishments other, other than Christ, then Christ is presented as inadequate. Um, so if we look at it that way, that, it, that if there is some sort of accomplishment that we can point to that is not a, a spiritual accomplishment or a spiritual growth, then what we do is we do the same thing as what Paul how Paul describes baptism as being emptying the cross of its power. There's nothing that we can do um, to add to the message. And we'll read later in this particular passage that, you know, Paul says, I, I built on a foundation. That foundation is Jesus Christ, and there's no other foundation. If there's any other gospel preached other than this gospel, let them be accursed, he tells the people in Galatia. Um, and then he says somebody else waters it. And so what he's doing is he's saying that you can't just say Paul did this. You can't just say Apollos did this. Paul's saying, I did my part. Apollos did his part. Cephas, Peter did his part. And everybody else doing their part is what's going to make it happen. It's what's going to make the church grow. It's what's going to challenge believers to follow more closely and to follow the Spirit of God and to study. And so when he describes all that, uh, how it all comes together, then we understand the full message of the cross. So let's look at Philippians 3. Um, I was reminded of this passage last week, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 3 through 11. And he writes this, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons 
for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, excuse me, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So in that passage, and according to Galatians 1.10, if we're trying to police people in any way, we are no longer a servant of Christ. And so <clears throat> Paul is taking everything, his, his intellect, his understanding, and his knowledge of the law to the point where his knowledge of the law led him to persecute and kill, other, to kill Christians until he was confronted with Jesus Christ and confronted with the reality and the understanding that he was persecuting Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And when that happened, Paul changed like that. And he said, okay, from now on, I'm going to do exactly what you want. And so we see um, in, in verse 10, excuse me, verse nine, 8, back it up one more, sorry. <laughs> I'm looking farther ahead in my notes and then jumping around, sorry about that. In verse 7 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he says, No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. He's giving the definition again here of mystery, which we see a few times in the Bible. We won't go there uh, for the sake of time, but there's one in Romans 16, um, and I believe there's, well, I'm not going to speculate. I know there's one in Romans 16 where he gives a definition that um, the word mystery means that it was something that was known from the beginning of time that God had already knew about and he had planned um, and that he gave to Paul specifically to reveal to the world um, with the message of the gospel. So um, let's look at Matthew 11. And we're going to look at a, a, just a short prayer that Jesus offers up. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. And this is going to help us understand why it was so difficult for the Jews as well as the Greeks to uh, let go of what they had been taught for their whole life. Matthew eleven twenty five and 26, in these next couple of verses. He says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So Jesus prays, hidden from the wise, and revealed 
to the little children. Little children here is described as the humble followers of Jesus Christ. Um, it's not necessarily talking about an age, um, but what he is talking about is people who humble themselves to follow Christ. And at the heart of this wisdom is the plan of salvation that's intended for our glory, determined before time began, and to be conformed in the image of Christ as we look at Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 tells us um, what God's goal is in our walk with the Lord and what God's goal is uh, as far as the relationship between him and us. He says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, Let's look at verse 32 as well. He said, And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, if we jump down into verse chapter 3, verse 8 of 1 Corinthians, I think I wrote down the wrong verse. <laughs> I think it was chapter 1. Nope, that wasn't it either. So anyway, um, I do want to back up to chapter 1 in verse 20, and we're going to read through verse 20 through 25 again real quickly. He says, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, though, though its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The Jews demanded signs and Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God had called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So none of the rulers of this age understood this, because if they had, they would not have crucified Jesus. Now, now keep your finger on this, and we want to look... At, uh, at Luke 24, just for a moment. Luke chapter 24, verse 21. And this is on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, verse 21. And it's just a, it's just a brief description. Uh, let's start in verse 20. It says, the chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And so, uh, is it Clopas? Is that his name? It was one of the men, I can't remember their names now, but there was 
these two men that are walking, and they're walking with Jesus, and they're explaining to Jesus, <laughs> Didn't you, don't you know what's going on? Uh, don't you understand? And so they're, they're having difficulty because the reason why the chief priests um, and Antipas and Herod, and Herod, Herod Antipas, Pilate, all these people are having difficulty understanding is because with the Jews, there's always a, a sign of power that's displayed so that they know that it's God doing the work. And so as they're watching what's transpiring, what we know about the Jewish people and the punishment of a person who is crucified on a cross, they don't make sense. They don't mix together. The punishment of someone who is executed in, in a Roman crucifixion is the lowest of the low. And they're looking at it going, there's no way that this guy being executed in this way could be the Messiah. So it would be like if we, if we saw someone that was on death row for, for being accused of the worst, most heinous crime, and they were on death row going to whatever you could describe as the most heinous form of, of capital punishment. That's what Jesus was going to do. And the Jews were going, I don't understand. Why is it that he's going through this if he's the son of God? Why doesn't he come down off the cross? Why doesn't he save himself? And they're actually they're, they're telling him this. If you're the son of God, show us. Demonstrate the power of God. And they're forgetting about the prophecies that they already know in the back of their mind until after the resurrection. And in some cases, I mean, we see people, uh, we see some of the people who are on the Sanhedrin and on the, uh, um, on the council that begin to believe. Um, Joseph of Arimathea was on the council. He was one of the, the, the Pharisees. Uh, Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees. Um, and there's, there's I, I think there's a couple of others that, that knew and recognized Jesus is who he says he is, and they're sitting back and they're going, what do we do? What do we do? Ooh, I don't want to make any waves. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my position. And, I'm gonna, and, and eventually those people did do that. It, it, history tells us that Nicodemus and his family were severely persecuted after the resurrection because he made a stand for, the, for what Jesus was teaching and what he was preaching. And so we know those things did transpire and they did take place. Um, from people who truly followed Christ. And Jesus gave that warning to his disciples as well. But when we're in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom. So Greeks are looking for something intelligent. They're looking for intellect. Um, and so the way Paul describes the message of the cross, he says it's foolishness for those who have already decided that they're not going to believe, that they're just not going to accept. But the people who looked at it and said, you know what, I understand, you know what, the, I'm, I'm looking at the scripture, I'm looking at the things that are transpiring, it's him. It really is the Messiah. Boom, the power of the Holy Spirit come on those people. Now they have the boldness of, of lions, they have, uh, they have power and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they receive instruction from God directly. Because remember, the scriptures have not been completed at this time. So everything they're learning, they're learning from teachers, from one another. And they're learning from the Holy Spirit directly. And they're still, and they're absorbing all of this. 
So suddenly, the Jews that believe, it becomes the power of salvation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are looking for wisdom, and they're going, this is ridiculous. He was killed on a Roman cross. He submitted and subjected. When, you know, we learned uh, back at Easter time, when a person puts a Roman cross on their back and they carry it, it is purposely done that way for the sake of demonstrating to everyone who's watching, this person will submit to the Roman government, period. End of discussion. We're in charge. And so that was the picture that was being demonstrated, and Jesus lowered himself so that he could be to the lowest point when God raised him from the dead and demonstrated God's power in that. And so he's speaking to the Jews, and he's speaking to the Greeks as well. And he says, man, what a stumbling block it is uh, to the Jews, and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. The, one, the Gentile people, the Greeks that are looking at it and saying, this don't make any sense, because they've already decided in their mind that because it doesn't make sense, they're not going to believe. There's some who have decided in their mind, is this, I want to know what God wants. I want to know the truth. And all of a sudden, it becomes the wisdom of God to them, the most powerful wisdom that could ever possibly be. Um, and so we read in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 1, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So he's talking to the, to the Greeks, and he's looking at the Jews, and he's saying the weakness of God is stronger than anything you can possibly, possibly imagine. So there's, a, there's, again, there's a mixed group of people here. So back in chapter 3, I'm sorry, back in chapter 2, <laughs> um, in verse 9, he says, However it's written, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard uh, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, these are the things that God revealed to us by his spirit. If we look at Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 64, real quick, we're going to see where he takes this from. If you have any questions, please stop me. You guys are awfully quiet today. Isaiah 64, we're going to start in verse 4 and read through verse 7. He said, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the, to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued in sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Now if we turn to uh, 65, chapter 65 of Isaiah and verse 17, He tells us, 
see I will see I will create a new heaven and a new earth the former things will not be remembered and so this is describing um, at the end of the tribulation after the white throne judgment he's describing what's in store for those who follow Jesus Christ and the um, the former things will not be remembered it's it, that's when the point is that God wipes away our memory of, of all the sin and all of the uh, the things that we've dealt with in this life um, and and are and we are forever with God in glory so um, Back in 1 Corinthians 2, the difficulty, um, part of the difficulty between the Jews and the Gentiles, when he says crucified uh, in, in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, he said, he uses the word crucified and the Lord of glory in the same sentence. And this just, just brings utter confusion <laughs> to everybody who's listening because they're going, that's just such an oxymoron, that's a paradox. It doesn't make sense that those two words are used in the same sentence. So he's using these two, um, these two words together, even though it's a difficult picture for the Jews to understand and accept. Because death by crucifixion was, was viewed, like I said before, by the Jews as God's rejection of that person. And to the Gentiles, death by crucifixion and carrying one's own cross is a picture of a criminal fully submitting to the Roman government. So... Um, back to, to verse 10 the, uh, the blessings of salvation um, that we just read in Isaiah 65 17 were prepared by the Father they were carried out by the Son and they are applied by the Spirit to all the believers who love God and so today how does the Spirit speak to us today What's that? Okay. And where do they come from? Comes from God. But the Spirit never says anything that, the God, that God has not already said. So we have right here, this is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so everything that God says and has written down, and we read in John, uh, the Gospel of John, he, he describes that, um, he describes that, Everything that's written down is not all, all that Jesus did, but he does say that these things were written so that you would know and you would understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's, that's paraphrasing. That's not word for word. Um, but he's explaining to us that the things that we have in the Scripture are written down for our benefit to know and understand who Jesus is, how to follow Jesus, how to live the Christian life, uh, how to demonstrate Christ properly um, to others. And so... The blessings that, are, that come and the way the Spirit speaks to us today is through His Word. We read His Word. We study His Word. Uh, the, thing that, the thing that's really resonated in my mind and in my heart over the last months there are two things. Are a person who is following Christ is always producing fruit. Okay? Meaning, doesn't mean that, that there's people getting saved and you're, you're baptizing them and you're bringing them to church. But it, also, but it does, it can be mean that and that is certainly included in that but it also means that there's discipleship there's 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 brothers and sisters that are walking alongside of each other throughout the week and that are encouraging each other and doing what ephesians uh chapter one 
uh, and actually the whole book, but doing what the Bible is teaching us to do in order to, to keep a, each of person uh, continually growing, uh, fanning into flame the gifts that God has given us and those kinds of things. Um, the other is um, Psalm 119, I think it's verse 11, that I, I gave to a few people this week. That is, um, <laughs> it just slipped my mind. Larry, help me. <laughs> no, it, no, David writes this, 100, Psalm 119.11. David says, I hide God's word in my heart so that I don't sin. So how do we keep from sin? What did Jesus do when Satan approached him in the wilderness? He quoted scripture to him. Did he have it in his pocket and go, hold on a second, and pull it out and read it? No, he, he knew it. And today, I mean, today we've, we've got smartphones. We have resources and things like that. Um, I just realized, I don't know. Yeah, I did turn it on. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> anyway, uh, we have our smartphones. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a Bible, a little New Testament in my toolbox at work and stuff like that. But I don't always have the Bible right with me as far as being able to open it and, and show people that's, that's good if I do and it's effective. But when I'm alone um, and there's a temptation that crosses my mind or I'm alone and I just want to be casual about my walk with the Lord and don't really want to think about too many things, you know, that are going to build me up spiritually, that's when the passage of Scripture that I memorize come to mind and the spirit is able to speak directly to me with what God has already shown us through the scriptures and so I've, I've been working on that God's been really convicting me saying you you need to get back to studying not just studying scripture but memorizing scripture because you know I've, I've gotten to a place there's times it seems like I'll go for a while and everything will be kind of easy and comfortable where I'm not really uh, have a difficult time with temptation or resisting and things like that. And then, I'll, I don't know about you, but then I'll go through a time where it seems like, man, it's just really hard to resist. Temptation, huh? Yeah, so I have to stop turning around. <laughs> um, but it becomes difficult to resist temptation. It becomes difficult not to snap at people that, you know, that are just rubbing me the wrong way that day or whatever, those kind of things. Um and, and David teaches in that passage that when you memorize scripture, that's what's going to help you stand against temptation. That's when you're going to see and recognize the way, the way out that we're going to learn about later in 1 Corinthians um, that God provides for us. Right. Right. And, and Jesus, when he sends the disciples out to do the work, he always sends them out at least in pairs. And Paul emphasizes and stresses the same thing when he writes um, that we should always have disciples alongside of us to walk with us. If we had no temptation, we wouldn't have free will. Uh, I, don't, I don't see how that could ever be a reality. <laughs> After the great white throne judgment, I don't think temptation is going to be an issue, you know, because it's just not going to happen. 
Yeah. Right. So if there's no te- say that again. If there's no temptation, there's no free will. Well, you you would almost have to take away. F- yeah, God would probably have to take away free will to eliminate temptation from your life. Yes, I would say that. But that's just not that's not a reality. You know, I mean, it's it's something that the only time that that will be a reality is after the second death, um, which takes place at the end of the millennium. So. Anyway, um, let's look at one last passage, Ephesians chapter 1. Did I read that one already? Huh? I read Ephesians 4, yes. So Ephesians 1, and we're going to start in verse 3 and read through 14. It's a long passage, um, but it describes just the, uh, the blessings that we can receive uh, and, and the importance of following along with Christ and how that changes their life. He says, Praise be to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he makes known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to God, to the praise of his glory. So in 1 John 4.19 also, he says that um, we love him because he first loved us. And so the only way that the people in Corinth um, could know this was by the Spirit who knows and reveals the, the deep truths about Jesus Christ. So as I think about what we're entering into this week, this week is Thanksgiving. Um, last year, our family's Thanksgiving was canceled. And it was on the basis of the wisdom of the world, of human wisdom. It wasn't on the basis of wisdom of Christ. It wasn't on the basis of, of anything that God teaches that we canceled and refused to meet together um, but there was such difficulty uh, in understanding and so the reason why I bring that up is because the things that happen today there's probably and it's, I would say it's going to be highly likely that if you get together with family members that you don't talk to on a regular basis questions are going to come up about things that are going on in the world today and so 
God wants us to be prepared entered in, entering into those situations with a, an understanding and a faith in him that is led by the Spirit to the point where we can open up our Bibles with those people and say, this is what the Bible says. This is what God says about this circumstance. And I understand it's a fearful time. It's a difficult time. Um, but Jesus shows us that love is always demonstrated face to face. And so the reason why I bring that up is because it is purposeful that the things that are going on in the world today is an attack on the destruction of the family. And if you can get to the place where, you know what, I'm not going to have dinner with these people over here because they feel differently about this situation or that situation, we forfeit the opportunity to share the gospel with one another, to disciple one another. And so... As difficult it is to not voice our opinion loud enough to make sure it's forceful and understood that this is the way it should be, we can, we can approach that and say, this is my opinion, and because, the reason why this is my opinion is because this is what God tells me, and I just want to do what He wants. And I want you to know that He wants for you everything that He has to offer uh, and, and everything that He has to help us to be made into the image of Christ. And so keep that in mind when you go have your meals um, with your family members this week. Um, I'll be praying about that. Um, please pray for me because I'll probably have conversations like that with my family members as well. And so I appreciate your attention today. We're going to pick this up um, right here when we come back next week. God bless you guys.